BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, they're the daughters of the most powerful man in Dubai. Why do they keep trying to escape the country and failing? We'll talk about the new podcast from In the Dark, The Runaway Princesses. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hi, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And soon, maybe to be cross-country skier, I just bought some skis from somebody on Facebook Marketplace. Have you ever done it before, Laura? I have, but not for a number of years, mm. but... Classical or uh, skating, skiing? Just regular. I just feel like kind classical. of getting out and about. Yes, classical. Um, apparently, I bought touring skis, which are classical skis. Okay. So for the listeners who don't know, there's two <laughs> kinds of cross-country skiing. There's the easier kind and the harder kind. The easier kind is called classical, where you're going in a straight line and like hopefully in tracks that someone else made in front of you or that like a machine made. And skate skiing is when you look like you're uh, ice skating and you're going like off to the side, choo, 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 and it's harder more like athletic it's good for your legs and faster and that's the kind you see like like a racing like in the olympics like the guys from norway was kicking everybody's asses do you have a rifle so you can do biathlon <laughs> i mean i feel like that's just the next step in sort of my evolution kevin 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. yep i see it hundo i don't think that your heart rate would go down enough to do it it's very very difficult i mean that's the hard part right it's like lowering your heart rate so you can shoot Sure, I can shoot. Yeah. I can't shoot. I can lasso, but I can't shoot. That's true. You should maybe create a sport around that. And finally. <laughs> what would you lasso? Like a reindeer? Like a, like a tree stump or something? I don't know. Snow bobcat. Who knows? <laughs> Let me get through these introductions. And finally, our captain of all things cynical. The Other skiers. Author of oh, the yeah, City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Finally. Hi, Toby. Uh, hi, Rebecca. Toby, I'll just tell you something off yes. to the side. We have a, uh, a security camera, like one of those ring camera situations. We have the fattest fucking deer that has been visiting our yard. Really? He's so, or she, so fucking porky. Like, I don't know what it's been eating. It's like one of those Istanbul cats. It's wildly <laughs> fat. It's so fat that when it walks through the yard, it makes a sound. It's like, oh, 
It's wild. So fast. Do you think it's because the winter's been so mild that it's just like kept eating and eating and eating, even when like supposedly it wouldn't have food available? I Mm. guess so. It's just so fat. Laura, you saw it on Twitter. Isn't it fat? Yeah, I saw it. And I'm going to tell you what it is. It's somebody out there that is probably illegally feeding this deer some like food so that when it's fat and happy and hunting season comes and it keeps going back to this area, it can get shot. You know what oh, it looks like? It's, it's not, a long game. It's not hunting season until next fall. It looks I like, know, but it looks they're like a, training him. It looks like a pommel horse. It looks like <laughs> the thing that Simone Biles like, <laughs> like vaults off of. It's got the weirdest barrel-shaped body and then a skinny deer neck <laughs> and a skinny head. It's, Are you body shaming this deer? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because that's not what we do here. You're right. We don't. We don't buy <laughs> on crime writers. On. No, I didn't say that this deer. Also, the had, deer has horrible vocal. Yeah, fry. I did not say the deer has yes. vocal fry and it had, has up speak. Listen, I was just saying this deer looks freaky because it's not. We're used to seeing these live, real hungry deer this time of year. You know, you used to see them, and you're usually like, "Oh my god, you guys look so cold." You guys look so like it's winter. This deer looks like it's been hanging out at McDonald's. Like it's wild. Oh, deer. <sighs> anyway, I just wanted to tell you that, Toby, because I know you're such a wildlife. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. And you're a wildlife fan. And you, you know. I'm a huge fan of wildlife. I know. There was something walking around in our backyard at like three in the morning a couple of weeks ago. It was making a noise that I could not, I couldn't figure out what it was. What did it sound like? I'm not going to do imitations on the air. Did it sound like a crowbar and it's probably a cat burglar? (laughs) Uh, No, it sounded kind of like a, uh, I don't know, like a four-year-old kind of whining. Was it a possum? Was it a coyote? What I'm telling you is I don't know. Mm. Was it a Chewbacca? It could have been. Chupacabra. Yeah, I will tell you, coyotes sound like children who want to murder other children. That is the way that I describe coyotes. They sound oh. like a pack of children murdering a baby. This is the way I describe them. It's oh. really disturbing when you hear a pack of them and they're all, they've got something. It's like, wakes me up at night sometimes. It's so scary. Yeah. Sounds like it like opened up the cooler and there are no more ice cream sandwiches or something. <laughs> it's sort of a plaintive uh, cry. Anyway, it was four o'clock in the morning. I was not like at my tip top peak. <laughs> yeah. So you uh, weren't motivated to get your cross country skis and rifle on, huh? I wasn't even motivated it. to get out of bed and look out the window. Well, I got a ring camera for one specific reason. Uh, we live obviously in a very safe place, but there's like one specific reason we got the ring camera, which turned out to not be a problem. And now we're just using it as a wildlife cam. It's basically just wildlife everywhere. It's really fun. And it always sees deer as people. It's like person detected. And I'm like, that's just a fat deer. Fat, fat, fat. Maybe it knows something. It does. It knows something we don't. All right. Uh, so, Kevin, this is obviously Monday's program. It is. Speaking of things in the snow that are maybe people, what's coming up on Thursday's show? Thursday, we're going to be talking about the documentary from Discovery Plus and Max. It's called Gwyneth versus Terry, The Ski Crash Trial. Mm. It should have been called The Fashion Trial is what it should have been called. Because those blue blazers were on trial. Yes. And those horrible 1990s neckties. All right. Well, I know that we're all anxious to talk about the podcast we're talking about on this program. So I think we should get to it. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. Let's get to it and drop that first clip. Leading off. And if you are watching this video, it's not such a good thing. Either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. In 2000, the daughter of Dubai's leader, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid al-Maktoum, ran off to England. 
Though her father wanted to be seen as a progressive champion of women's rights in the Arab world, Shamza claimed her father subjected his children to harsh punishment for disobedience. The princess was then forcibly taken from British soil by Sheikh Mohammed's men, sparking a diplomatic crisis. It was annoying, really, because yet again, you know, this diplomatic immunity thing, and because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and, and get away with it. That's always... That's always stuck in my crawl. After spending nearly four years in prison for her own escape attempt, Shamsa's sister Latifa also fled the country in 2018 to get away from her father. Her swashbuckling high-profile breakout made international news, but claiming she'd been kidnapped, Indian security forces captured her at sea and brought her home. She says Latifa was yelling at the men to leave her friend alone. The commandos were yelling, who is Latifa? Someone grabbed Latifa by the hair and yanked her head up. He showed her to someone else and said, is this her? Latifa shouted over and over that she wanted asylum, but the men didn't listen. From the team at The New Yorker and in the dark comes the runaway princesses. Madeline Barron and Heidi Blake report on Latifa's and Shamsa's attempts to leave Dubai, the consequences for doing so, and what's happening with the princesses today. Is Latifa now living a happy life in Dubai, as she claims, or is she making those statements under duress? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from The Runaway Princesses. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Kevin, this is obviously a a formatically interesting show. It seems like they're Mm -hmm. using the In the Dark feed almost like the Uncover feed as a place to now tell New Yorker reported stories. We did hear we are going to be getting an original season of In the Dark in this feed later this year, which I'm very excited about In the Dark season three. But we did hear in the credits that we have, you know, Samara Freeman as an editor on this show, that we have three actual names from the original In the Dark team on this show. And in the show itself, we have Madeline Barron playing the foil as the person and that Heidi Blake is telling the story too. Um, so how do you think this is working, this in-the-dark feed being used as the place to put this investigative storytelling? You know, probably doesn't need to be this two-person format because Heidi's reporting is, you know, solid enough to stand on its own. But I'll say it does, you know, kind of allow for a little more commentary on what's, you know, happening than if it was just like, you know, straight narration. To have Madeline say something like, boy, that seems peculiar, draws out Heidi's analysis in a way that probably seems a little more natural than just you know, her, uh, you know, shoehorning something into her script. So she's in prison, but her guards are bringing her food on gold plates, and that's supposed to make her change her story? Right, seriously. She wrote, they are extremely ridiculous. Did Latifa even know what her friends had done, that they'd released this video, and they're talking to reporters about her? What could she find out from inside her prison? Did she have access to any information at all? Well, she talks about seeing some things on television. We also finally get to hear from Madeline Barron again, which I think is great for the audience who's been waiting to hear this great voice in podcasting come back after all this time. I thought she was being held in an opulent palace and somewhere in a different part of the world. Thank but, goodness. But she, she was not. Is not. Or she escaped that palace in the, you know, the wheel well of a car. Yeah. Had a rebreather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was good. wild, and we will get into that. So, Toby, this podcast is efficient, right? It's a short podcast, and it gets right into the story. How do you feel about how this podcast starts off? Does it? Do you do you feel engaged right away? Yeah, like you said, it's it's efficient. It's engaging. 
So it starts off where we hear a recording of Latifah's, and if memory serves, it's her basically saying, if you're listening to this, something terribly wrong has happened. I'm making this video because it could be the last video I make. It was part of a secret plan that took her years to put together to escape from Dubai. The plan involved an inflatable dinghy and jet skis and a yacht secretly waiting out in the Indian Ocean. And then it goes to this sort of, you know, not super long piece, but like looking at the story about these women, probably at least some of them sex workers, being taken out to this mansion in England. The Sheikh and other men are there, and they don't go into any details about what happened other than to say these women come away with a lot of money, but some of them are clearly distressed. So it kind of sets up sort of these two things that are going on. One, which is Latifah and her sort of perilous life, and then very efficiently talking about the men in the royal family in Dubai, and at least this aspect of how they deal with women when they're outside the borders of Dubai. You know, it points towards misogyny, clearly. Yeah. So, Laura, what did you think about this picture that was painted, obviously? Because we have the sheikh, who is the uh, prime minister of the United Arab Emirates and basically the head of Dubai, the, the, you know, the, the sheikh of Dubai. So we hear about a man who is trying to portray this incredibly progressive attitude toward women. Um, I will just say there is a television show that I watched when I had the flu that I now realize is complete fucking propaganda. I streamed it. It's called Dubai Bling. It's sort of like the real housewives of Dubai. It's about all these rich, successful working women. One of them has like a cosmetics business. One of them is like a really successful real estate mogul and their husbands and all the drama they get into kind of stuff. And that show sort of does a lot to underline like the independence and success of these women in Dubai. And now I realize it's complete fucking propaganda, right? (laughs) Right. Country. Um, What do you think of this sort of like two-faced you know, political stance and the way that we hear it play out, like through this first story in the podcast. I This whole podcast, I'm just going to say, I haven't been so angry listening to a podcast in I don't know how long. Um, That's saying ever. something. Mm. I'm so disturbed by this podcast. And a lot of it, obviously, is what happens to his two daughters, to the Sheik's daughters. But then also this disconnect, like you're saying, with this public image the Sheik promotes. He's celebrated for modernizing his country and gender equality. And he's going to talk about removing hurdles that women face. And then actually what's really happening is totally different. And then when his daughters, Shamsa and then later Latifa do end up getting out, the rest of the world is so quick to turn a blind eye to this or excuse it away because of his power and influence and wealth in the world. And like this sort of fake persona that he has put out there. I I am so enraged. I just, I can't even like articulate it because you listen to this and you're like, how the fuck is this continuing when there has been prior reporting on this and there has been other stories out there about what is actually happening. And, you know, you hear about this public image, but then as Toby was saying, you don't just hear about misogyny, you hear about rape. And I know they don't come out and say that it's rape, but clearly when you have that one girl who is sitting on the seat next to a pile of blood, whimpering like a dog, Something happened. Mm -hmm. That's one. I don't think it's a leap to say that she was sexually assaulted in a very violent way. And that 
no amount of money is going to help that. But when the police go to look into things, they're just told like, oh, no, we'll handle this at the upper levels. And again, it goes back to that sort of double image that this guy is able to successfully navigate in a way that is like just maddening. Yeah. Well, one of the things we hear about, and we'll get more into sort of the politics and how that sort of protects people at the higher echelons, um, is also the way that people at the higher echelons use sort of social dynamics to protect themselves too. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting about this Sheikh's sort of social circle is that he socializes with the queen through their shared love of racehorsing. And that sort of provides him social protection. We hear about, you know, sort of all of these wealthy people coming to visit and speak at this forum in Dubai and being so grateful for being there, retrieving these huge speaking fees for being there. But Toby, you know, one thing that you said in your notes that I felt the same way about, you couldn't stop thinking about Jamal Khashoggi when you were listening to this podcast. Why is that? Well, it's it's a similar situation, right? Where there's Jamal Khashoggi, he was murdered in Turkey at the behest of the crown prince of Saudi Arabia at the time. But it's it's a similar thing where it's pretty known what happened. It's on tape, by the way, what happened. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just there, there's no question about that one, certainly. And just because of Saudi Arabia and we value access to their oil and we have longstanding diplomatic ties and, you know, it's it's a complicated situation, but it's one in which, you know, I think we've had three administrations since he was killed and. And nobody's really tried to hold Saudi Arabia accountable for it. And as a matter of fact, I think Trump like said the quiet part out loud when he was like, you know, are we going to really sacrifice, you know, our $800 billion trade or whatever it was because one journalist got murdered. And I, it, that feels like a similar calculation to what's being made here, which is, are we willing to put our relationship with the UAE on the rocks because of a couple of women who want to escape from their father, who happens to be the ruler. Right. I mean, we didn't do anything when the people in the planes on 9-11 were from Saudi Arabia, right? So there's very much a thing there that is not just about oil. It's about stability in the region. It's about all these talking points that they always talk about. And Kevin, this is part of the story is about that. It is about so-called diplomacy, yeah, right, on the international stage. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, I mean, part of the story has to do with, like you said, the diplomatic consequences and, you know, relying on allies who commit human rights abuses because the West, like you say, does have a reliance on both Dubai and Saudi Arabia for regional influences, but it, it means turning a blind eye to transgressions that, you know, take from other nations. You know, we try to push back on China, but also they're a huge trading partner, that isn't the point of the podcast, but it is a factor in why the women were unable to get international justice and why, you know, a goon squad could swoop in on British soil and just snatch this woman and take her back to her nation, despite uh, that that's against the law in Britain. And, you know, and it's also about power. I don't think we ever really get to why the, the sheik wants his daughters, you know, basically all kept locked up. You know, it's it. The motivation is he's, he's a patriarchal monster. I mean, that's that's the answer. He sees women as objects, and the ones that do mm-hmm. what he wants them to do are allowed to be free. The ones that prop up his image, the daughters that are Olympic athletes who are willing to toe the line and do all these things that are cool with him, are allowed to be free, and the ones that don't are not. That's it. 
He uses them as tools. Or the wives, like that one wife that used to be the one that was in all of the public outings until she disobeyed. And And the only reason she's okay is because her parents are the rulers of Jordan. Exactly. Right, right. And And so, I mean, that's part of the thing is that if you are a man with a lot of power, then you can, you know, you're able to manipulate the levers of power with other nations to do something like, your daughter runs away to have her rumspringer in uh, London and it's like, OK, we're going to send in armed security forces to just, you know, make it just to say, oh, well, she was kidnapped and that's why we're pulling her back in and, and, and whatnot. And you're always like uh, if you're a wife, you know, you have to depend on your husband's permission to do things, to spend money. But you don't have to do that in the U.S. You don't have to ask your husband to join Patreon. Oh, no, you don't. You can just do it yourself. <laughs> yes, I was actually. I'm going to note that, that, you know, it was interesting that in Dubai, you have to ask permission to work if you're a woman, but then Mm -hmm. there's promotion of all this like independence for women. Anyway, get back to the business section, Kevin. That was a very, very clunky transition, but you may as well keep going. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm known for my clunky transitions here. So uh, if you join us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, what you can get is a whole bunch of exclusive podcasts, almost 500 exclusive podcasts. They include episodes of Leave It to Bricker, in which Laura Bricker solves mysteries, or at least mysteries to her in her coin AF town of Exeter, New Hampshire. We've got Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Toby is going to be uh, doing the book The Angel Makers, not The Widow Makers. Because if you're making angels, aren't you also making widows? I mean, or widowers? Not if you're getting their kids. Yeah, okay. Point taken. But yeah, there's a fair amount of widow making too. Uh, We also have Married With Podcast, in which Rebecca and I give advice to listeners. We had one who wanted to know what to do after she has been passed over twice Mm. for a promotion. Is it time to move on? Yes. And we also have our Crime Writers on After show, which we just keep the discussion going or talk about new things. We're going to be chit-chatting a little bit about new developments in the Alec Murdoch case. Yes. Yes, there was a hearing. It was very dramatic, and there are some new developments, and we'll give you our thoughts about that. Absolutely. Kevin, does that send the business section? Are we already done? I'm just keeping it real tight, Rebecca. I mean, are we going to talk about the fact that people can subscribe to our newsletter or anything? Go ahead. You can do that. Okay. You should go to our website. This isn't Dubai, Rebecca. You don't need my fucking permission. CrimeRaidersOn at gmail.com and subscribe to our newsletter. It's free. You can find out everything that's going on with the podcast. And we had a listener this week. Who Kevin, like when we were going away to Las Vegas, like he thought he sent it out and I didn't go. And we had a listener who said, where was the newsletter? Let me tell you something. There is not a single fucking newsletter I subscribe to that I miss when I don't get it. And apparently Kevin's Crime Writers on Newsletter is so addictive that if you don't get it, you're going to miss it. So sign up. It's free at crimewriterson.com. Anyway, Kevin, is us in the business section? Thus ends. The business section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. Kevin, you thought this show needed a strong start. Yeah, just like we all need a strong start with a good breakfast. Yes. You can get one from HelloFresh. Oh, my goodness. HelloFresh, uh, you're not going to do the Ola Fresco? Ola Fresco, but I have something to say about the breakfast, man. Well, that's what we're talking about. Whether you're trying to save money, eat better, or stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do all things. Three, say hello to the most delicious year yet with fresh ingredients and chef-crafted recipes at a price you'll like, delivered right to your door. We always talk about their wonderful meals, but as you will find out from this special, you can get breakfast for life from HelloFresh. 
Um, so we got some breakfast that included some savory waffles. Hey, and, uh, what? Belgian waffle. Just yes. leaving it. I have eaten these Belgian waffles, Kevin. Mm-hmm. I have a secret. Yeah, I don't just eat them for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it for lunch like twice. I love the Belgian waffles. Yeah, I had these wonderful egg bites that were you know egg and sausage, egg and spinach. I had some great different varieties. And look, that's the thing about HelloFresh. Anyway, you do HelloFresh for dinner because it's fast, it's simple, delicious. It's fresh. It takes a str- it's fresh, right? And so here you are getting some breakfast along with it, just adding to your repertoire because who wants to spend a lot of time making breakfast first thing in the morning? These things are so convenient. It takes just a minute to make yeah. these things. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Crime Free. Crime Free. And use code Crime Free. Crime Free. <laughs> for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's what they mean by life. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash Crime Free. Crime Free. With code Crime Free. Crime Free. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and... Producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Toby, before Kevin made that very clunky entree into the business section, we were talking about some of the systemic misogyny in Dubai, uh, which is always a good transition into talking about Patreon. But there was a lot, you know, back to the serious side of this, there was a tremendous amount of brutality described in this podcast, sending his daughters to prison. Obviously, we talked about the limo scene. We talked about some mysterious, quote, deaths, which turns out to not be so mysterious. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So... The person we're focusing on is is Latifa. For the most part, uh, she's in jail for a year. They beat her so severely that they break the bones in her feet. She puts on shoes to try and keep the bones where they should be, and then she gets out and then has sort of a breakdown and gets put back in prison for two more years. Butra, who we talked about earlier, although we didn't say her name, who is the wife who's sort of out front, she gets a kidnapped on Brazil, returned to Dubai. And then dies at the age of 34, right after Sheikh Mohammed takes power. And so her husband is out of power. Shamsa, Latifa's sister, is also tortured while in prison and kept drugged up. And when Latifa sees her again, she says she's like a zombie. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's clearly, you know, a willingness for the leaders in the regime to use violence, imprisonment, and abuse of drugs to keep the daughters and their family, quote unquote, in line. And I imagine part of it's also an example to other daughters about what is sort of acceptable in their eyes and what is not and what the consequences are for transgressing. Yes. And they're obviously also willing to use propaganda, as we talked about. At one point, we hear that Latifa was taken to lunch a bunch with the former UN Commissioner for Human Rights, who then became the president of Ireland, uh, Mary Robinson, 
who was, I guess, either allegedly fooled by this situation. I have my doubts about whether or not she was actually fooled or just felt like she had to say she was for some stupid fucking reason. What did you think about that, Laura? The the nice lunch episode of this podcast. That was another one of the places in this podcast where I just lost my fucking mind. I was like, okay, because they're having, they're like, you see the pictures, because I went and looked up the pictures and everything, because I was like, what the hell? And it's like, oh, we're having this little lunch, and here's Mm -hmm. this lady, you know, and obviously Latifah doesn't want to, like, pose. You can see her just kind of looking down and, like, not really engaging, and then you hear this whole, like, ridiculous story where the good wife that was there that was then friendly with this woman was talking about how, oh, like Latifah has mental issues and it's, you know, she might be bipolar and all this. So then you hear Mary Robinson being interviewed and like Mary Robinson wants to talk about like her book or something. And the interviewer was like, yeah, but what about this? You can hear Mary Robinson trying to steer the interview back to her book about climate and Michelle Hussein not having any of it. Um, we talked about climate, actually, because I had given a book copy of my climate book to yeah. Princess right. Haya. I just want to ask you about what, what she said in, in her video, which was seen around the world, was that she was in prison for three years and tortured repeatedly mm-hmm. on her return. It was like this head-in-the-sand ostrich situation, like see no evil, hear no evil, and unless somebody is blatantly being murdered in front of us, we are not going to say anything. It's, it's just troubling to me that... You know, this wasn't something that happened in a vacuum. This wasn't something that happened without people trying to raise awareness. And yet here's a woman that should know better who's just like, oh, we had a lovely lunch. Yeah. Poor girl. Very troubled, you know. But what what should she have known, I guess, is is my when I listened to that, I was like, OK, like it's easy to demonize her. But yeah. And the same token, she shows up for this lunch and she knows she was the human rights commissioner for the UN, Toby, like they, like the abuses of women and the oppression of women should have been a known fact to her. And I mean, maybe in Dubai. But I mean, if she's told that, you know, this is our daughter, she's got, you know, mental health issues. But she already escaped at that point. Right. She had already escaped at that. Was point. that was that a known thing? I don't know. I, I didn't track that whole timeline. Yes. And after she escaped, her friends that helped her like talk to the press about what happened to yeah. her. So Mary Robinson should have been briefed. Yeah. And when she saw her, should have been like, are you okay? Right. Well, that's the whole thing. That scene reminded me. It's like, and this is going to sound maybe like a dumb connection. It reminded me so much of when domestic abusers tell people like like the really like ones who are good at it, tell people that their exes or their partners are are crazy that they're the ones with mental health issues and like people believe them for a really long time using the oh they're bipolar or they're I've heard that so many times from abusive people oh she's an alcoholic oh she's bipolar oh she's crazy and like when you first meet somebody and they're really charismatic you're like oh that's so sad that's so sad that you have to deal with that like that was so fucking triggering to me so triggering to hear that scene so there's something that we have to absolutely fucking talk about about this podcast Kevin yeah. Tifa's escape plan, her seven year long, <laughs> oh long God. game. I'm not only uh, going to, you know, let me let myself mm-hmm. heal from being in prison, but learn martial arts, learn to scuba dive, learn to jump out of a plane. This is like the Shawshank Redemption. It kind was of, yeah. bananas. What do you think about that? Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, I mean, it was such a, you know incredible long game. Basically building up this reputation within the family that she's an adventurer. So like having scuba gear like would not seem weird or having like this trustworthy friend like, yeah, I'm going to spend the day with her and all to like eventually put herself in a position 
to make an escape. The scuba uh, recycler, the underwater recycler and the underwater scooter being smuggled into a truck. I mean, it really just is I mean, that alone ends up making it an incredible story. The international press is going to jump on. These were like stories of how people were defecting from, you know, communist nations. Yeah. And instead, you're, you know, fleeing what is perceived to be the most Western friendly nation in that region. And and it's, you know, someone in who's in living a gilded life, right? Someone who's living in a palace and one would think, you know, has everything that they want and could just, you know, just live the good life. And so it, it brings up a lot of questions. But yeah, sort of the action nature of it and that she spent years and years prepping this. Yeah. You know, so... Is she, where is she today? Is she maybe planning for something, you know, in, in another long game? I don't game? think I don't so. Know. Uh, Toby, what did you think about this escape? I mean, the one detail that I really loved, I mean, obviously this does not end well, was that her friend piled a bunch of unassembled Ikea furniture on top of her in the car. If I were those guards, I would not have wanted to take that out of the car either, because if you ever transported that shit, it is really, really ungainly to carry around. Like, they probably opened it and they were like, oh, fuck, Ikea shit. We're not moving that. Um, but what what did you think about this plan, Toby, and how just sort of the strength of determination it takes to plan something like this for so long? Yeah, I mean, it just kind of felt tragic, right? Because it's this completely bananas convoluted plan that to me seemed like it had very little chance of succeeding and she's sort of forced to rely on whoever she can get to help her right so in some ways that's great because she has her friend tina who genuinely is trying to help her and is doing all this stuff to to make it work she also ends up working with this guy herve who clearly is just trying to get an insane payout out of it and it kind of undermines things so I think it was creative and imaginative and showed just how difficult it was going to be that you had to jump through these kinds of hoops. But on the other hand, it did seem a little bit like fanciful thinking that you were going to be able to do this. Like even like when you're comparing it to like leaving Eastern Europe, like there were networks, like there were countries that were trying to facilitate those kinds of defections Mm -hmm. here. It's her and Tina And then a couple of other dudes who they're hoping they can trust. And in one case, they were correct. And in one case, they weren't. They planned for seven years and it lasted seven days. Yeah. On a cockroach infested. Listen, Toby, every boat is cockroach infested, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. How do you think those cockroaches get around? Uh, Exactly. How do they get from place to place? What a letdown, though. I mean, I was just so like... Of course, by this point, because I was so enraged by the story, I'd looked it up and read about it. So I knew that she was going to get caught. But I was listening and I'm still just rooting for her because I'm like, God, like, uh, you know, like this is just I was so invested in her actually escaping and actually getting to freedom. And just like, my God, the amount of background that went into this. And like and I was also like, she's a badass. She's like jumping out of plane. She's doing this like you know, fighting, she's scuba diving. Like she's, she's literally like- Do you know why, Lara? Because she didn't care about dying anymore. Yeah. She didn't care. She, she would rather die or be free. And so she was doing all these dangerous things. Like she's doing sports where she could die. I know. I just felt so heartbroken. I'm like, like when you hear about it, you're like, like me anyway, I'm like walking and I'm like, no, no, no. Like this poor woman- Oh, my God. But she doesn't do cross-country skiing, so. 
She doesn't. If she had done that and learned how to shoot a gun like I'm going to do, she clearly would have no, gone right kidding. into Norway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it reminded me a little bit of Navalny, right? Where you're mm. following these plans, these grandiose plans. And this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And then he like shows up to the airport and doesn't even get through customs before he's arrested. And it kind of felt like the same thing. It's like, here's this great sort of convoluted plan that's going to finally, and it just never even really gets off the ground, yeah. right? She never steps foot on friendly soil. Yeah. Well, she steps foot on international waters, which is supposed to be friendly soil, right? You're supposed to be free in international waters. So, Kevin, we have here some never heard before material. We have some voice memos that Latifa sent a human rights lawyer uh, and her friends from her golden cage, this villa in which she was kept in Dubai, apparently not allowed to even open the windows. She apparently had some help. She had a maid who would take pictures of her letters and then send the letters out and then flush the letters down the toilet. But then we have this incredible audio. I don't I don't know what they're planning to do with me. I don't know what his plans are for me. I don't know if he will let me walk out of here alive. I really don't know. So the, the situation is getting more desperate every day. And um, I, yeah, I'm just really, really tired of this now. Well, I thought it was really important. I mean, we do get some of that already, like on her social media. And I think maybe we should question the wisdom of going public while you're on the run. Um, You know, maybe it means that you're like just trying to. She was trying to show the world she was on the run so that if she got caught, everyone would know she had run away. Right. Yeah. But she's still like in the middle of the getaway. So anyway, I mean, we it certainly got the press interested in her story. These so. people were not super smart. Listen, that one guy called his girlfriend right away and was like, I just helped a princess run away. It's like, dude, yeah, yeah. wait. That guy was a fucking Can moron. Can you wait a couple days? And he tried to set up a bank account? <laughs> moron. <laughs> but her, her voice messages are like, it, it's a great part of the reporting because it really is the only way that we know what she's thinking and how she's feeling in those moments. But you also can like feel the emotions, like her excitement and her determination. And then you kind of hear in her voice how she slowly becomes resigned to her fate. You know, I also can believe that she's like not currently forced into making these statements, like that she's making these public appearances and she's saying things about, yeah, I'm with my dad and everything's, you know, copacetic. So, you know, is is she under duress, you know, with a figurative gun to her head to say these things? Probably not, but you could see where she could be so broken down with hopelessness that that's how she actually feels is sort of, you know, this is my existence now. But it's a really great question. I mean, and again, I I mean, you poo-pooed it, but, you know, she went years planning her escape, waiting for the right moment and for things to come together. If she were doing that again, this is how she would act. Or, as you know, if uh, she really is broken down or under duress, this is also how she would act. I was very concerned, though, and I don't know if you agree with me, Laura. When she started to change was about when she started being visited by a psychiatrist Yeah, at that villa. I became incredible because I just remembered what happened to her sister, right? Her sister was a rebel for a long time. Until she wasn't, right? Right. And I know, you know, we hear obviously at the end of this that she's like, oh, we have proof of life and this person has supposedly seen her and blah, 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 blah. But I felt like based on the track record and what we've heard about these women being sort of, it sounds like basically tranquilized or medicated so that they're compliant and so they don't run away. It felt like that, but it also just felt like her will was broken and like she was just beaten down so much that 
she finally just sort of gave up. And that's just heartbreaking yeah. to me. And and I know that's not what she said, but I'm like, I just can't reconcile the current version that we're given of her with the version of this person who meticulously planned this multi-year event to build up their strength to escape to then just be like, oh, no, I'm fine. And I'm here now. And that's the way it is. Like, I, it just doesn't feel right. What do you think, Toby? Do you have a thought, thoughts on whether or not um, she's just given up? I mean, this is sort of the question that the podcast ends with, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know if it's knowable based on this. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of different things that could happen. She could be waiting to escape again. She could be drugged or otherwise, you know, coerced into staying. She could also just be older and making different calculations about the way she wants the rest of her life to go. There's a bunch of different possibilities. So it's kind of hard to know if I knew her and she was like a friend of mine, I think I would probably be concerned about it, but it's just hard from a podcast to like totally wrap your head around. Cause I, I think when we first start hearing her, she's like what in her, like her late teens or something. It's like almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're condensing a lot of time and a hell of a lot of trauma and aging and stuff into this four part podcast. So I I basically I don't have an answer, but I mean it doesn't seem great, right? I mean the the best possible outcome is that stuff was so shitty that she just finally just like all right, well you know what this is better than the alternative, so I'll just lay low. And if that's the best outcome when you're in one of the richest families on earth, that doesn't seem great to me. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Okay, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Runaway Princesses? It's a series featured in the In the Dark feed from The New Yorker. Laura, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Runaway Princesses? Yeah, thumbs up. Um, This podcast had me walking 3.5 miles on the coldest day of the year so far in Exeter because I wanted to get to the end and see what happened. You could listen inside, Laura. I'm just going to point it out. I know, but I was so angry, Kevin, that I had to keep walking even though my legs were stinging from the cold because I was so enraged. Burn it off. It was a rage walking podcast. It was really great to hear Madeline Barron's voice again. I mean, she was sort of a side person in this. We really hear her only in a like kind of um, maybe prompting some questions from Heidi, who's the main reporter in this. I'm looking forward to hearing Madeline again, but the reporting that Heidi did in this was top notch. We had so much information. 
at the end, I was still so angry about this whole situation. And I just, you know, I'm like, geez, I hope something comes from this. And I do. But I was also very disillusioned um, because of the way that the international community responded to the situation. But this was just a really interesting story, really well told, really well sourced, and uh, big thumbs up. Toy Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the runaway princesses? Yeah, well, first of all, it's, it's really good, as you would expect. So I guess a few thoughts. Uh, one is, like, we spend a fair amount of time complaining about how things go on too long and they're trying to fill up a certain number of episodes or whatever. Like, I think this, you know, this is just so tight, right? There's no filler that I can remember. It's like the right length. It stays pretty compact. Like, it stays around this story, right? And there's, like, little branches of the story, but it's all very thematically tight. And the the sourcing's great. The journalism's great. It's it's an indictment on a bunch of different things, including, you know, how we as Westerners like sort of balance our like, you know, supposed commitment to human rights and things versus sort of the sheer sort of power politics involved in, in maintaining relationships with countries in the Middle East. So I don't, I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of really interesting stuff in this, you know, it's great to hear Madeline again. So a big thumbs up from me. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. I'm one of the things we didn't talk about is the sound design of this podcast. It, it sounds to me like some of the better parts of the New York Times serial podcast, but just without that super flat narration style. I think this is what their series could be like um, if they didn't insist on that kind of narration style. But the two person, you know, like, wow, full body chills format probably doesn't work for something like the retrievals. I really did like uh, Madeline being there and sort of talking Heidi through it. Heidi is the real star with her like fantastic deep reporting here. There's a little bit of a giveaway with one of the interviews where Heidi kind of confesses that she didn't think at this moment this was going to be a podcast. So she wasn't really thinking about the audio quality. And, you know, so it was great. So they identified like something like this could really come alive in a podcast and they really delivered on it. It's a fascinating story told very well. The New Yorker is always doing really high end, really sharp journalism. And so I can imagine they will be putting out uh, more high-quality podcasts like this. And yes, of course, I'm very happy that Madeline has reemerged from the opulent palace that she had been uh, locked up in all these years. And someone let down their hair yep. and let her escape. So welcome back. Yeah. Listen, don't forget, we got the catch and kill story from The New Yorker as well, right? Um, I love this podcast, and I am thrilled that the In the Dark feed is being used as a repository for some investigative reporting at The New Yorker. I loved that moment of transparency when we heard Heidi say, I didn't realize a podcast was going to be made at the time. It reminds me of when The Daily used to be good. Um, sorry, Bailey fans, but it's just not good anymore. But it used to be great. Mm. Michael Barbar used to chase reporters around the newsroom and ask them about their work. And then they would drop in original tape and audio. I used to have this like dynamism where you felt like the paper was coming alive in the podcast feed. And now it's just a boring ass interview show with some like Nat sound. Anyway, um, this podcast is really, really interesting. And I learned a lot. One of the things I learned, for example, was like, how Dubai was basically invented. Um, and, you know, there's just a lot of interesting stuff here that you get that's around the central story that's really, really important. And it's tight, man. It's a tight, tight story, and you'll get through it quickly, and it'll make you mad. So, yeah, you should definitely listen to The Runaway Princesses. It's in the In the Dark feed, which is now from The New Yorker. Yes, Toby. 
I was just going to say, if you are interested in more, Heidi actually wrote an article for the New Yorker that came out on May 1st, 2023. It's long. So for further reading. All right. And it really follows closely with the uh, the podcast narrative. So, yeah, it's good. You know, one of the things they could have done was just done that because they do do this. Just like listen to the article situations. This is a better option. This is definitely a better option. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the crime, crime of, the week. of the week. In a world with both spell check and autocorrect, typos have not gone away. But one really caught the attention of a city in North Ontario. The Pizza Hut in Timmins put a sign on the door announcing the dining room was closed for the evening. They said it was due to unforeseen circumcisions. A picture of the sign went viral with Star Trek actor George Takai posting, Typos are my worst enema. Oh my. The store took its new fame in stride. It corrected the circumcision and announced a sale on medium pizza. They said, quote, no tip was required. Ouch. So, panel, no need to be a little prick about it. How else will this Pizza Hut capitalize on its typographical newfound fame? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Uh, maybe they'll add beans and franks to it. <laughs> what do you think, Toby Ball? Like a pizza with foreskin and onions. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, oh, I'm never eating pizza uh, again. What do you think, Kevin? It's a visual. You ready? Yeah. Peel and eat shrimp. Oh, I think they're going to come out with a slogan. It's not the size of the pie. It's the motion of the ocean. All right, Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you and say, Hi, Laura. Your answer to that crime of the week was pretty clever. How can they find you online? They can find me at Laura Bricker. What about you, Toby? How can you be found? And uh, people want to tell you what their favorite kind of pizza is. At Toby Ball NH. What about you, Kevin? I think they could do like a, a pizza and they just like remove a slice. No, okay. I'm at Kevin yeah. P. Flynn. <laughs> the P stands for pizza. Oh, by the way, Pizza Hut has used to have, I don't know if they still do a kick-ass salad buffet. I, that's, I used to do that all the time for lunch. Not the buffet I was interested in. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. It had like pineapples and beets. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On or on YouTube. And I encourage you to join our incredible and amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. That's where you can go if you don't know where the newsletter is this week. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Just go there. There's a pinned post on how to join the group. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll also get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the fantastic Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we also listen to Coldplay while being smuggled out of the country, hiding in the wheel well of a car Let me out! under a bunch of unassembled IKEA furniture. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. I'm drinking my favorite non-alcoholic beverage, which is Culture Pop Seltzer. Well, I like this lemon perfect water. I'm very excited because it's hydrating. It says it's hydrating and I already feel hydrated just drinking it. That mm-hmm. is very, 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 <laughs> you're very, you're very persuadable. I know. I'm so gullible. It's amazing. I do what I do for a job. Very persuadable. in crime media. media.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.